This is episode number two with Colin Robertson of willpowered.co. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Genius, the podcast that puts your personal development on steroids. Each episode is designed to give you a step-by-step blueprint for mastering your habits, growing your skills, and building the courage for taking massive action in your life and making an impact through your work. Warning, this show is for peak performers only. And now, let's dive in with your host, Ben Austin. Our next guest is a founder of willpowered.co. He is a published author and also a good friend. He teaches people how to improve their willpower and self-discipline so that they can achieve any goal. His recently released book, The Will of Heroes, is getting stellar reviews on Amazon and was funded through a very cool Kickstarter campaign, which we might talk about. His work stands out in the noise of performance psychology writers, and he is an expert in the science of willpower. Colin Robertson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, dude, I'm really excited to have you on. There's a lot of really great things in your brain that I'm excited to get out (laughs) and uh, talk to you about. Uh, So the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is, um, like, if someone wanted to understand willpower, like, what would be the reason that you would tell them, like, this would be a good thing for them to study? Sure. I would say mostly just to understand your motivations, understand why you crave things, you know, why you want to procrastinate, all of the things that kind of lead you down the path of what you don't want to do, mm-hmm. and also how to use your willpower to overcome those things. Just the little things you can do on a regular basis in order to give yourself the edge in those moments where you have to make those tough decisions. Absolutely. I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, just you on a personal, what has studying willpower and becoming a performance psychologist, writer, uh, what's that allowed you to do in your own personal example? I would say... Be extraordinarily consistent. You know, before I got into this whole thing, I was all about intensity, putting everything (laughs) I could into everything that I did, and then I would crash later. Right. This has allowed me to, you know, show up every single day and get what I need to get done to the point where it becomes a habit, and then good things start happening from there. Yeah, dude, I completely agree. In fact, I'm kind of the same way. My background in football has really made me very, like, hit things very intensely to the point where I burn out. In sure. fact, last year, I think I burned out probably harder than I ever have before just because I was hitting it so hard in so many different areas. And, you know, you, you get to this point where you're exhausted, but you're so used to being at this constant, you know, 100 miles per hour pace. And you kind of just like, you run yourself into the ground. And like, yep. <laughs> and because you get so used to doing it, you just keep driving yourself even deeper and deeper. And I don't know about you, but like, I took a vacation this past, I guess it'd be January. And like I was on the beach in Grenada and I finally got there and I was sitting at the beach and I'm like looking around and I'm, I'm like, I am really tired. Like I didn't realize <laughs> how exhausting everything I was doing was until I got that moment to sit down and yeah. like actually think about it. Yep. In releasing my book, I definitely got to that point. Yeah. Actually, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because that's a pretty cool thing you did because most people talk about writing books, yet very few people actually can get themselves to go through the process, like you said, of being consistent and, you know, actually creating a book. Sure. Could you talk about what that process was like for you? Sure. So I started blogging in October of 2014. Then I wasn't a very good writer. And I knew that the only way that I was going to become a good writer is to practice writing every day, put my work out there, start getting feedback from people, see what works and what doesn't. 
And the best habit that I developed out of that was ensuring that I wrote 1,000 words every single day. It was non-negotiable. So, you know, I did it on Christmas, did it on my birthday. All <laughs> I didn't give myself a day off from that. Just it was the first thing I did when I woke up. And I knew that if I keep on putting out a thousand words, eventually something is going to come from it. So I didn't have the grandiose idea for the book, which eventually turned into telling the stories of 12 hugely successful people like Kobe Bryant, J.K. Rowling, and Warren Buffett, and explain the science behind their success. That wasn't the goal off the bat. I just read these stories of people. I shared the science behind them in my blog. People really engaged with that well. I loved writing about it, and eventually I realized, hey, there's something here. And I kept up the habit of it, and eventually I had enough for a manuscript. Uh, that's awesome. But you said something really important there. Like you said you were going to commit to doing a 1,000 words per day. That was non-negotiable. That was your line yep. in the sand that you drew. Like I've heard that same statement from many different people before, and I think you know many people say things like that, yet it's very, very hard to make yourself actually do it. What were it the strategies? <laughs> That's awesome. What were the strategies that you, that you use to become consistent enough to write a thousand words per day? Uh, so like I said, it's non-negotiable. And that meant that I couldn't use the excuses of, oh, this is, this, I have this thing going on tomorrow to kind of give myself that excuse. Uh, you know, the day before I had to say, okay, it's between this time and this time I'm going to be writing. I planned that in advance. I made sure that I had the resources that I need in order to do it. I had everything that I needed in order to put something down. You know, I'm not saying that the thousand words were always magnificent. They certainly weren't. And a lot of them were tossed through the uh, creative process. But the fact is that I was still in there and I was still writing, even on those days when I didn't feel like writing. <laughs> right. And committing myself to, you know, taking those small steps every day. That's awesome. Have you read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? I have not, no. He's a very well-published writer. And uh, one of the things that he talks about in the book, The War of Art, which is sort of like the battle that you wage against yourself every single day in order to, you know, your war against your art. Sure. But he says, like, you have to sit down and do your work every single day, regardless of whether or not you feel like it or not. Mm -hmm. yep. Like, that's what's going to separate you from being a published author from someone who just talks about being a published author, right? Yep. I'm curious for you. I don't know, but like when I get very tired and my willpower is depleted and I don't feel like doing anything, my mind will play all sorts of tricks on me to the point mm -hmm. where like, <laughs> I'm like rationalizing these really crazy things. I'm like, oh, you know, that, that's such a big deal to do this today. I guess I could, I could wait till tomorrow. When those voices creep up in your head, like how do you calm them down and then get back to doing your work? Sure. So obviously everybody is going to have that regardless of how strong your willpower is. You're always going to have th that temptation. The best thing to do if you want to get a quick boost of willpower in that situation is to just figure out what is one small thing I can do to go in the right direction. So even if, say, you had the idea of going to the gym and then you got those you know, voices going in your head that were giving you all the really, really good reasons why you don't need to go to the gym today. Because you're really tired and you can wait till tomorrow. It's not that exactly. big of a deal. Yeah. So say you plan to spend an hour at the gym. All you need to do is just say, okay, 
I don't need to spend an hour at the gym. It doesn't need to be a perfect workout. I'll just spend 15 minutes doing the most important exercises. Mm. And you'll find that once you're 15 minutes in, that everything is so much easier. And it isn't that, you know, huge weight on your shoulders anymore. And you're like, okay, maybe I'll just spend another 15 minutes here. You know, half an hour is a good workout. And then eventually an hour comes and you did what you were supposed to do anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that happened to me earlier today before this call, you know, I, I was exhausted and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go do my kettlebell swings and that's it. So I go down to the gym, do my kettlebell swings. I'm like, you know what? I'm here. I might as well do the next thing on my workout, which is like go for a run. So I did that. I got back. I was like, you know what? I can still do a little bit more. And I was able to get everything done that I had planned on for my agenda, but I didn't force myself to say, okay, now I'm going to go do an hour and 15 minute workout. It was just like, let's just take this small chunk right now, mm -hmm. focus on that. And, you know, let's see what happens after that. Yeah, we have this mindset of it needs to be perfect or nothing. Right. Um, and as long as you can will yourself to get out of that mindset into the, okay, I can't do the full thing, but at least I'm going to do a little bit. You'll see that after you've done that little bit, the next bit is not nearly as intimidating. Exactly. Do you think that you're kind of touching on the subject of perfectionism here, mm -hmm. but do you think that perfectionism drains someone's willpower and makes them not able to like ultimately do the little tasks that you know get them to finish their goal that they're after perfectionism is such a gray area ironically yeah because <laughs> you're trying to be perfect you know there's nothing wrong with striving to make something better than it is and never being satisfied but the problem comes when you like i said it's the perfection or nothing mindset I firmly believe that you should never fully be satisfied with whatever you put out there. Mm -hmm. But not being satisfied is not the same thing as it's got to be perfect or nothing. Right. I like to take the approach of the minimum viable product. Yes. It's like for this absolutely. podcast, for example, you know, as the time of this recording, people listening, I don't even have a name for it yet. But I know <laughs> that, you know, these are the steps I need to take in order to get it released. But like, yep. I, I'm, I'm just releasing the smallest chunk possible for right now. And then I'm going to keep iterating it as I go forward to make it better and better because, you know, honestly, I need to be flexible going forward. And if I try to pigeonhole myself too early on, then things are probably not going to work out in the long end. Yeah. And I'm going to burn out because I'm going to expect the absolute best for myself. But I'm new at this, so I'm just going to allow it to happen. Yep, absolutely. So under those lines, I will have an analogy of what I like to think about perfection. And that is to dream of the cathedral, but focus on laying each brick. Mm. So you always want to keep that idea of, you know, your long-term goal in mind. But after you have it in your mind, start focusing on those bricks. Like getting those recordings with me is just one brick in creating this podcast. The title can wait till later. Right. You're not focused on that brick right now. No. And honestly, one thing that I've found for at least myself is when I just kind of force myself to take action, like you and I were talking before this, and you're like, hey, man, you know, let's get this podcast going. I know mm -hmm. that if I book the podcast, I schedule it with you and I get things going, that the rest of the pieces are going to come together. Like sure. The pressure that's being put on me to finish the project, <laughs> you know, it's just going to kind of naturally, not naturally happen. I'm going to have to do the work, yeah. but I'm going to cut out all the things that don't need to be done right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on what's essential so that I can get it done, ultimately release the podcast. Did you use a process similar to that with uh, writing the will of heroes because i read it and that's not a short book this isn't like a 50 page picture book i mean there's quite a bit of text there sure like i said i had a lot of the content and the research and all that kind of stuff done first and then it was okay it's like i got this hero 
I have this story on them, and I'm already tying it to these ideas that I put in my blog. Now let's see what we can elaborate from there. So it's kind of like I already showed up with the cathedral half-built. Right. When I realized that I wanted to turn it into a book. And if it was already half built, then I just needed to put the fancy stuff on top of it. (laughs) Right. I mean, because you already had the basic framework there with the ideas that you've tested out. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for people who are aspiring writers or aspiring creative people to do something that just allows you to put your work out there, maybe even before it's ready to be released. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because I talked to lots of different people who claim to be authors and want to be authors. And, you know, I asked, do they have a blog? Do they have something where they're putting their work out there? And most of the time, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's that perfectionism thing that we were talking about earlier. You know, it's either a best-selling New York Times best-selling book or it's nothing. And unfortunately, most of the time we opt for nothing because, like, <laughs> nothing is a hell of a lot easier than a New York Times best-selling book. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's obviously a lot of content out there on the web about, okay, how do you get your book sold? How do you launch it? How right. all this other stuff. And they all start with, okay, get a blog, start getting some email subscribers. And then this is like, you know, a month before you launch the book. And by the time I launched the book, I already almost had 40,000 subscribers for, for my blog. And it's just like, there is already my audience. And it's so much easier to get my book out there to all these other people because I started building those things over a year ago. Right. And you've got the like the list of people that are actually interested in the work that you're doing and you've bounced your ideas off of them and gotten some critical feedback as well. Exactly. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit more about the science of willpower. Sure. Because we've been talking a little bit about goal setting and small chunking it in order to achieve them. But I think there's a lot of really there's a lot of misconceptions about willpower. Uh, Could you just explain what exactly willpower is? Sure. So I like to think about willpower as the ability to think, decide, and act on what you really want in life. Mm -hmm. So it's thinking, being able to think outside the box, being able to realize where you're going to be able to push your comfort zone. Also having, you know, the self-awareness in those times when you want to blame something outside of you and it's harder to take the blame yourself, be self-aware and ask, how can I improve that type of stuff? So all of that requires mental energy or willpower. And then making decisions, you know, those times when it's just like, oh man, do I go to the gym? Do I not go to the gym? All of that decision-making process is using up your mental energy in the same way. It's using up your willpower. And then finally, the act, you know, it actually took willpower for you to make it to the gym physically and, you know, start doing those kettlebell swings, start doing that run and stuff like that. So (laughs) all of that requires your, requires your willpower to, Make the hard decision when the easy decision is just so, is just right there. Exactly. And I I think one of the things that I didn't really understand about willpower until I read Baumeister's book, Mm -hmm. uh, which is Willpower, the Science, what is it, the Rediscovering the Science of Human? No, uh, Rediscovering the Greatest Human Strength. Rediscovering, I always mess that up, but yeah, he actually uses uh, blood sugar as a way to measure a, a drop or a rise. Mm-hmm. in willpower. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the biological connection in between willpower and uh, blood sugar? Because I think this is something that a lot of people really don't understand. Sure. So I will caveat this with the fact that a new study is coming out that might disprove the biology part of it. Really? Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to completely shake up the willpower science game. Um, <laughs> All five of the willpower scientists will be out of the job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm one of them, but anyway, 
the study is being done is putting much more emphasis on the psychology rather than biology. I haven't read it yet. It's not out yet. So I'm saving my reservations for whether or not it's true until then. But I just want to put that out there because by the time people are listening to this, it might be out there in the ether. Anyway, so glucose, uh, it is what your body converts food into. It goes through your bloodstream and about 20% of it goes up to your brain. And that is what your brain uses in order to exert willpower. You know, it takes energy in order for you to make those hard decisions to think before acting, all that type of stuff. And if you have a steady stream of glucose going to your brain, then you'll be able to make those harder decisions. The reason why the theory came or where the theory came from is the fact that I'm sure everyone has been through this scenario. You know, you go through a stressful day at work and it feels like you're physically exhausted, even if you just sat at a desk all day. And the reason why that is, is because you've been burning through your brain supply of glucose throughout the day while you're going through all this, these stressful decision making processes, going through emails, whatever it is. And then so it's harder for you to use that same glucose in order to get your feet going to the gym. Right. Or to work on your side business or whatever yes. else you have going on at night. Doing that reading you say you would. Right. Anything. Right. So one thing that I'd like to point out here, and I think the studies kind of vary on this, but your brain actually consumes about 20% of your body's available energy. You know, mm -hmm. we've been talking about energy is in the form of glucose, but there's other different types of energy that your body uses. But, you know, in general, it's about 20% or so. That, that's what your brain uses. And if you're mm -hmm. making really hard decisions all day, like, uh, you know, you're at your job and you're in a decision-making position where even if there's small decisions, uh, you'll notice that over the course of the day, your ability to make those decisions is going to go down. It's going to become harder for you. And when that happens, it's literally your willpower being drained. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like to think about it like a muscle. And I know that I've had a really hard day where, you know, I've been making a ton of decisions and I have to come home and do even more work. Like those are very hard for me. And because mm -hmm. I understand this blood sugar relationship, which may or may not be true according to you, but, um, <laughs> I know that when I come home, I need to do a few things. Number one, I need to like turn off the phone, turn off the computer, sit down and just rest, chill mm -hmm. out, like not do anything. I'll stare at a wall. I'll meditate. I'm going to do nothing. And then sure. number two, I'm going to eat something because I know that I need to keep my body's energy up. And mm -hmm. I'm sure I've seen this as well. But when you have, you know, shitty food that you eat, you know, if you're going to bake a chips or if you eat, you know, some cereal or some really fast burning food, fast burning carbohydrates, you might get a small rise in willpower for a little bit. But then it's going to go mm -hmm. down when your blood sugar falls with the rise in insulin after you eat the food. So yep. I just I know for me that like I have to be eating high quality, nutrient dense food pretty much, you know, I don't want to say around the clock because it's not around the clock, but it regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, the it's you want to get that slow burn of a steady stream of glucose going to your brain at all times. And eating healthier foods is what's going to help you do that. You want to eat low glycemic foods, if your listeners know what that means. Basically, just has a low amount of sugar going to the bloodstream at, or in a small period of time. So this would include like uh, lean meats, nuts, vegetables, that type of stuff. Right. And I think the diet that you've seen a lot of, you know, high performance people like yourself go to is, mm -hmm. you know, this, this paleo-esque diet uh, where you're eating a lot of, you know, fresh meats, vegetables, high quality fats, mm -hmm. things like that. And I think what you'll notice is when you switch to a diet like that, you'll actually see your ability to execute in other areas of your life go up. And it was a, a strange phenomenon that I noticed to myself when I really started working on my nutrition. Did you mm -hmm. notice the same thing? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Especially the long-term thing. You know, I always had the two thirty feeling where I would just crash around early afternoon. But once I started eating paleo, then I was just able to keep on going. Right. No, I think that that's a really important point. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's also not only paleo, but then also sort of on the lower carbohydrate spectrum of things. I just find that specifically with me and my body type, if I'm eating too high a carbohydrate, I just have those fluctuations in blood sugar than the corresponding rise in insulin. And I get that 2.30 crash. You know, I'm, I'm hungry by 11 a.m. if I'm eating carbohydrates in the morning. So for me, it's really important just to you know, keep it, you know, pretty much meats, vegetables, and fats sure. for the most part of the day. And then after my workout, I might eat some carbohydrates because... Not only is that the best time for me to eat them, but it gives me the uh, post-workout anabolic effects that I'm looking for. Yeah, <laughs> I right. totally agree. That's awesome. Let's talk about your daily routine because I love the fact that you've got this full-time blog. You're able to write a book. Mm-hmm. You've launched a Kickstarter campaign in the past year. You have been up to a lot. So I would mm-hmm. be very curious to hear, you know, from the time you get up in the morning till, you know, say evening, what is your routine like? Sure. First thing in the morning... I eat a healthy breakfast and then get right to writing. Writing is the most important thing that I can do in the day because it forces me to practice my writing because I always want to get better at that. Research new topics and actually produce something that I'm going to put out there that is of value. It is a thing that I need to make sure that I get done every single day. Pretty much everything else on my schedule, if I don't get it done to perfection, it's okay. But writing is the most important. So First thing, basically, you know, before 6 a.m., I'm writing. (laughs) That's awesome. I think you're bringing up a very important point. You know, if something is very important to you, the best time in the world to do it is first thing in the morning. That's when your willpower is going to be the highest. You'll have the least amount of excuses. Hopefully, you're getting up at a time where there's no one else up to really bother you. But for me, the most important thing that I do each day is my meditation and visualization session. I just find that if I don't start my day with that, in my head, I'm unfocused, yeah. I'm overstimulated, and it's really almost impossible for me to get those things done that I need to do. And I don't know, it's weird. I'm like, when I don't meditate, I obviously track all my my habits and I, I know how productive I am. And the corresponding decrease in all my other success habits when I don't meditate, it's pretty amazing. Interesting. It's like, like, I see that I don't meditate and the rest of my day sucks. And sure. this pattern has played over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. And the funny thing about this, Colin, is even though I know this, it's still hard for me to like just sit down and meditate. Like I have to block out everything else. But I, 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 I got my <laughs> habit. I've got it down. I still do it. I still fight myself every single time, though. I mean, you bring up a really good point uh, in the beginning there. And that that a lot of people take for granted is the fact that the morning is your time that nobody is going to mess with you with. You know, there's not going to be the coworkers that you want to meet after work for a drink. There's not going to be like some random life event that you didn't see coming that can throw off your entire schedule. You know, when you wake up first thing in the morning, if you do those things that are going to be hard, then it's up to you to get them done. And there's likely nobody that's trying to meet you for a drink before work. Right. (laughs) Well, hopefully you don't have a friend that's trying to meet you for a drink at 6 a.m. every day. Or if you do, that's a really good friend. Somebody (laughs) probably didn't go to bed the night before. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, man, I love that. Let's talk about mentors and uh, people who have helped you, either, you know, people you've worked with in person or someone that you whose work you really love. Uh, Who has influenced you as an entrepreneur and a writer? 
Sure. So I would say the biggest personal mentor for me was a developer that I met in my, the first company that I started. I was only 22 at the time. And I got right out of college. I tried to start my own company. I was, you know, the social network kid. And I wanted <laughs> to really get into that stuff. And I was all about positivity and there's nothing that can stop me and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And so I had the will to go up to a guy who had really no business getting into business with me. <laughs> uh, he, he was a 28-year-old, really, really talented web developer. And as you probably know, web developers aren't cheap and there's not no. many of them, especially good ones. But I didn't know that. And so I was just like, oh, well, I have this billion dollar idea and this guy's going to want to join me. And so uh, I love the I was, naivety there. That's awesome. I, it was if I knew what I know now about the landscape, I would have never been able to like bring myself to get him. Right. But anyway, we started the company together. It ran for two years and we learned and grew a lot together. And now he's basically like my older brother. And he has helped me a lot in holding me to a higher level of or a higher standard with what I'm doing today. I know that with like every article I post that put out there, he's going to challenge me on it, that type of stuff. That's awesome. I was just going to say, I think having mentors specifically in whatever arena you want to develop in is so critical. Mm -hmm. This past year, I really focused on getting high quality people uh, such as yourself, just into my life to sure. help me grow. And it's really weird because like, you know, you and I have a relationship and, you know, not that kind of relationship, but just a relationship. And like, you know, it, it's very different having a conversation with you about these topics as opposed to reading it from you. Sure. It's like, and every time I read your articles now, I'm like, I, I kind of know what you're thinking and I know what you're going for. And okay. it's almost like because you have a relationship with them, it, you start to expect more of yourself. Um, you know, I think Robert Green calls it, you know, you start to mirror the people that you, you know, you look up to or that you can to learn from sure. in his book, Mastery. But there's a very, very different dynamic when you get to work with somebody, you know, either one-on-one -on -one or over the internet, or over the phone. And I've just found that to be incredibly powerful in my own growth. I mm -hmm. mean, th th this past year has been more growth than probably at any other time in my life. And I think one of the big reasons for that is just getting really good people around me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. You're much more of an extrovert than I am. So I'm really <laughs> glad that you reached out to me in the first place because I need to do that more of that. Yeah. Right. That's actually a really good point. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit because sure. there is a real power to introversion that most people don't talk about. In fact, most of the time I wish that I was more of an introvert because that'd mean I'd be able to get more work done without wanting to like you know, talk to people and have a conversation. But yeah, there's a, like, I find that introverts has, have this incredible power to, uh, you know, draw energy from themselves. It's something I'm still trying to learn, but I haven't figured out this secret yet. So Colin, what is, what's your secret? How have you been able to <laughs> draw the powers of introversion to yourself to really do these really cool things? I mean, I don't know. I could ask you the same question about <laughs> how do you draw energy from other people? You know, other people are, unless they're like a really close friend, yeah. they're a drain uh, to me. <laughs> except so me, it's, right? Yeah, I know, yeah. Exe except you because you're a close friend. But, uh, you know, if, if I was, I've done a lot of podcast interviews now. Yeah. And for the most part, it, it's like, okay, I got to build myself up to get up there and do this, this interview. But I would say a really good book that I read, I think it was about four or five years ago now is by Susan Cain, and it's called Quiet, The mm -hmm. Power of Introverts in a World That Won't Stop Talking. 
you know, I was really under the impression before reading that book that I needed to force myself to be an extrovert because extrovert is the like top thing that society likes. And what that book really taught me was how to use your natural introversion or extroversion in order to put better work out there. As hard as I try, I'll never be as good of an extrovert as you. And as hard as you try, you'll probably never be a, as good of an ext- introvert as me. <laughs> I'm trying, um, man. It's not going to me. <laughs> I'm trying to. Um, but what we can do is we can learn how to put ourselves into those positions when we need to. So when you need to be introverted and I need to be extroverted, but also understand, accept who we are as introverts or extroverts and understand what gives us energy and embrace that and use it to put better work out into the world. Yeah, I, I love that. That's such a great way of putting it. Yeah. it remind, Have you read Peter Drucker's Managing Oneself? Uh, I haven't read that one no. yet, no. It's like a 100-page book. It's, it's a fantastic uh, view on this old guy who essentially invented the modern MBA. But essentially mm-hmm. what he says is you need to figure out what your strengths are and then build a career around them. Build yep. your skill set and all the different, you know, build the career that you want to have around the things that you're really good at. Because as sure. much as you try to be, you know, to improve your areas of weakness to areas of strength, you're never going to be as good as the people who are, I don't want to say naturally that, but you know, naturally that, right? Sure. The people who are naturally an extrovert, naturally an introvert or you know, Steve Jobs obviously had this amazing flair for, you know, being charismatic and mm-hmm. things like that. And we all just kind of need to figure out what our unique strengths are and then build around those because that's really where all success happens. And I sure. look at what you've done specifically and I'm like, holy shit, like, you know, he is really, you know, I, I'm struggling, I think, a lot of times because I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not. But I really admire you for the fact that you're able to just you know, say this is who I am. And then you've really built a career around it. I think that that's awesome. Sure. Thanks, Ben. I mean, you bring up some really good points in recognizing your strengths and utilizing them to perfection. I would add another layer to that, and that is understanding the weaknesses you're going to have to improve in order to achieve the purpose that you want. Yeah. So for me, that was writing. I'm really good at explaining scientific concepts in concrete terms. And I've been good at doing that for a long time. However, I wasn't good at writing them down and making them into a coherent, you know, article or whatever before. Uh, So that was a weakness that I had that I really needed to work on in order to get that higher level thing that I really wanted. Yeah. I mean, uh, you bring up another good point here. You had the motivation and that initial motivation gave you the foundational, I don't want the foundational willpower, if you will, to really go out and attack those things Mm -hmm. that you needed to do to in order to achieve your goal. Yep. But I'm guessing, you know, because you're such a strong, uh, you know, analytical mind that you were able to figure out, you know, what was wrong and then also, you know, correct those, I don't want to say weaknesses, but correct those areas where you needed more reps, essentially. Yeah, you know, exactly. Maybe it wasn't even an area of natural weakness. You just needed more time to work on it, right? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Uh, I got another question for you. Sure. Uh, I know you've been kind of pivoting away from the willpower discussion a little bit. What is next for you? What's next on your agenda? So uh, I'm going to bring up the the story of Louis C.K. <laughs> uh, Love him. Just in order to add a little, little context. Louis C.K. was a terrible comedian for the first 15 years that he was uh, doing stand-up. And 
after 15 years, he was slowly building on this one comedy routine that he was getting a little bit better at, a little bit better at, a little bit better at. And all he was getting out of it was gigs at Chinese restaurants where people weren't even expecting <laughs> to see a comedian. Right. Uh, so they, after that, he just sat in his car and he learned about the story of George Carlin, who obviously is another great comedian. And what George did is after... Each year, he would put out a new comedy special. And then after that comedy special was over, he would toss all of his material to the side and he would start anew. He couldn't use any jokes that he's ever used before. He needed to do something else. Mm. And what that did was it allowed him to think more creatively, think about new ways, new things that were funny. And everything was always fresh. And every year he got a little bit better. Right. Um, and so Louis C.K. said, well, the 15 years of doing this isn't working. So what the hell? I'll throw it out the window right. uh, and start fresh. And so what he did was he found he, he went one layer deeper and he started making jokes about his two year old. <laughs> and and four years after that, he was named one of Comedy Central's 100 funniest comedians of all time. Yeah. And so it only took four years of going deeper in order for him to reach the level of greatness that we know now right and so that really motivated me to be like because to be honest with you coming into 2016 i was feeling kind of stale writing about small wins chunking and you know introduction to willpower stuff over and over and over again just from different angles and so it was like okay i need to dig deeper i need to get get something else what else what other areas are people really struggling with their willpower besides just personal development and one of the areas that I started exploring was addiction, really trying to understand why people become addicted to everything from drugs to food to pornography or whatever. You know, why are people doing that? Is it really a lack of willpower? And is there a way that willpower can help bring addicts back to normal life? And I found some extremely interesting research on this because we know so much less about addiction than we think we do. And that's really where I'm starting to gravitate towards now. And it's going to be a very interesting journey from the beginning of things. Yeah, you are starting over. You don't even know where you're going to take this addiction thing, do you? Nope. Like with the Will of Heroes, I'm going to start writing a bunch of articles and <laughs> see where... I start to see a cathedral coming. There's also been some really interesting things that I'm learning about, you know, how fear affects our willpower, how certain messages that, uh, affect our willpower, how we might be drawn to stereotype others, all that type of stuff. Yeah, I, I love that approach. Uh, just not, you know, you don't really know quite where the path is going to lead, mm -hmm. but you're just going to start walking and see what happens. Um, exactly. Because I think you'll find out from walking the path, you know, you'll figure out, okay, what resonates with me? What does my audience like? Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to test all these different ideas. I love that approach much more than, you know, I'm going to think about it for a year and then release a book and see what happens. Like, exactly. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Yep. All right. So I'd like to wrap things up here a little bit. And I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Sure. This is just so we can pack in the most uh, resources into the shortest amount of time. Okay. Uh, but the first rapid fire question I'm going to ask you, what is the number one habit that you contribute most to your success? Uh, I hate to say it again, but the writing 1,000 words per day. Nice. I love it. It's, uh, it just is. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me I need to start doing more 1,000. My criteria for success is 
you know, did I write period, and it, it, you know, one sentence would be just enough for me. So maybe I need to bump that up a bit. Great thing about words is they're quantifiable. You it, can always adjust that. Exactly. What is the number one book you've recommended most to others and why? <sighs> that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, I read so many books. I, for me, I would probably say Mastery by Robert Greene, but that's just because it, it took me to the next level for what I wanted to accomplish. But the book that I would say most people get a lot out of is The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. Mm, awesome. I will put a link for both of these in the show notes so people can look these up later and you have to dig around the internet finding them. Yeah. And also my book, my book, uh, it definitely changed my yeah, life. That, that, that's the most important one. You forgot that. The <laughs> Will of don't, Heroes. Don't forget to put that one in there. <laughs> that's the whole, the whole page is going to be a link to the Will of Heroes on yeah. Amazon. Speaking of which, where do you want people to buy the book if they're interested in it? Sure. You can buy it on Amazon if that's easier for you, but you can also get it off of my site at willpowered.co. Okay. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well for the book. Uh, let's just run through the, the rest of these. Uh, what's your favorite online tool or app? I would probably say Sumo Me. I know I've recommended it to you before. It is the way that you're able to get new people who are coming to your site, way to capture their email addresses in uh, exchange for a valuable piece of content. And they have a whole bunch of other things that they do that helps you as a blogger or whatever, including heat maps, uh, all kinds of cool things like that. Uh, it's just been really good for me. Yeah, great company. Noah Kagan's an awesome dude. I got a chance to meet him. Oh, really? That's cool. In October. Yeah, really crazy, super nice guy. Uh, I bet. Awesome company, too. Uh, what podcasts do you turn tune into regularly? Podcasts that I tune into regularly. I, I gotta, I'm not really a, a podcast person <laughs> as much as I'm on them. I don't really listen to them much. <laughs> You're more of an audible guy, right? Yeah, I'm always listening to audiobooks or lectures mostly because I got to get that boring scientific information. I would probably say Joe Rogan's podcast. Really? Okay. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. He always has some interesting scientists on there and stuff like that sometimes. Are there any lectures in particular that you really go back to or want to share? Or are they too nerdy? <laughs> They're all pretty nerdy. <laughs> I'm there to get the, the boring scientific information so you don't have to. Gotcha. I love that approach. Before you take off, uh, can you let us know where the best place to get in contact with you and connect with you is? On my website, willpowered.co, you'll find everything that you need to know about uh, willpower from the introductory information that I told you about before to learning the psychology behind a Trump supporter. <laughs> awesome i did read that article that's a great one and uh, oh, man i got some flack for that but i, I yeah, speaking of polarity that's uh that's gonna you know put people on one side of the fence or the other but i i like the article that's awesome well colin thank you so much for being on the show it was a pleasure to have you on and i look forward to working with you again in the future all right sounds great ben all right thanks all right, that was a lot of fun having Colin on the show. He's a great guy, really smart, incredibly cerebral. And uh, as you can tell, he's extremely focused and goes really, really deep with uh, everything that he studies and learns and shares through his website, which is once again, willpowered.co. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more, go to stopstartdo.com forward slash podcast to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other episodes that I have released in the past and will release in the future. That's all I had for you guys today. 
Peace out. Talk to you guys next time. And remember to unleash your inner genius. Thank you.